Hello, my name is Ewan McIntosh, and this is What an Office, the podcast. So I've always been a Wrigley's Extra Spearmint kind of guy. So he's kind of, when he had to end up with his, uh, doing, I think it ends on him doing Harry Enfield going, only me. Somebody made a, a Scotch egg using an ostrich egg. How much do you think you've enjoyed this podcast? Not at all, to some extent. <laughs> Very much so, or don't know. Uh, what are the options? <laughs> Hi, and welcome to What an Office, the podcast. I'm George Sargent, and in this series we're going to hear what it was like to be involved with the British sitcom, get some exclusive insights, and try to find out what it was that made it stand out as the best sitcom of its generation. For our first episode, I have the pleasure of talking to Ewan McIntosh, who played Keith. He talks about how he came to be in the show, where the inspiration for Keith really came from, and what life has been like after The Office. You join us just after we met up at an East London coffee shop. Wow, thanks so much for for joining me, Ewan. That's okay. They're taking time out of your schedule. Um, no problem. I've got you a large flat white, so hopefully that should be uh, should be good. Um, I just wanted to ask you about uh, life before the office. Yeah. And why acting? Um, it wasn't necessarily uh, acting at that point. It was um, comedy and uh, writing and performing and uh, all of that kind of side of it. So I'd been in a sketch group and we were, uh, we'd done like various show, live shows and we'd been to Edinburgh for the Fringe a few times and we'd um, sort of got an agent and we'd started to do bits and pieces of writing and also we'd moved to London. And so we'd started to see the casting director and met other various people and so the acting kind of was just part of being on that scene really in that scene how did you get into it in the first place when did you decide that was the kind of field you wanted to go into uh, I'd always done it for fun I'd always done sort of acting at school and then when I went to Edinburgh University I kind of I kept going I also did I started doing a lot of improv comedy in Edinburgh uh, well there was a group that did improv every week so I joined them and then I kind of a couple of friends from up there we started writing and thought as well as doing improv I thought well let's put it on a sketch show so we kind of fell into it so we wrote the sketches and we sort of performed our own sketches that's kind of the way it's done I think still is uh, and so it just kind of all happened gradually it was never it was never sort of an intended career it was, it was always in the back of my mind that I'd rather be doing that than uh, you know a proper job uh, but you know, I did have a sort of a proper job as well for a while because when you're starting out, it's tough to kind of do it full time. So we all had uh, you know proper jobs and temp jobs that were supplementing our comedy at the beginning. It was kind of just the way we the way it had to be, I guess. And so, like casting directors would come and watch, come and watch you there, and then they they'd kind of hook you up afterwards and say are you free and stuff like that well they would just keep you on record I think and uh, so when they were casting comedies and they'd have a big kind of notes of people they'd seen uh, you know a good casting director who's who's specialises in comedy will go and see a lot of live comedy and so they'll know a lot of people and so when they when they see the script they can go okay well we can bring you this person that person 
So yeah, you just got to get getting people's uh, get their attention and get get noticed and uh, hope that you get a bit of work out of it. So, in terms of acting, did you ever think that uh, you might go down the kind of the drama route versus the comedy, or have you always gone for comedy, <coughs> or have you done both? Um, I mean, when you're a kid and you're doing you're doing both really at school and school plays and stuff there's you, often you just do what you have to do because there's only one play um, so I'd always done sort of acting stage acting that was drama and I've done a few kind of drama parts on TV as well uh, so I'm not really I, I prefer doing comedy I think it's my, where I'm am I most comfortable in terms of of know what I'm doing in my kind of comfort zone I feel like I'm better at doing that naturalistic comedy than uh than anything else so I kind of uh, that's probably what I get seen for most uh, but yeah I don't mind I'm, I'm happy to try my hand at other sorts of acting and um, your comedic stuff does that have any influence from where you were where you were brought up or anything like that I don't think so I think it's more it's some it's some, some of that I mean it's hard to say you just you don't know you don't think about it a lot of it I guess is uh, from watching other comedy when you grow up so watching you know all the Monty Python and then watching a lot of the early you know the Chris Morris and Amanda Iannucci stuff and uh, League of Gentlemen and that so I guess it all kind of rubs off on you and you kind of try and uh, not imitate but you try and um, you know be influenced by by comedy that you find funny and what comedy do you find most funny then that's influenced you uh loads loads you mean like old comedy or new comedy or well anything really I'm just thinking specifically of The Office that kind of deadpan character that was very um, that was very very much kind of for me it was all kind of I guess going back to This Is Spinal Tap which was when I first heard about The Office I didn't know much about it uh, when when I started it I just knew it was sort of a comedy documentary. So, for me, the touchstone of comedy documentaries is always going to be Spinal Tap. So, which I was already, which I sort of knew off by heart back in those days. I was a big fan of it. So, yeah, a lot of a lot of what I did on the office owed owed a lot to uh, to Spinal Tap. I think just the sort of the rather deadpan not too clever guy just sitting chewing gum was sort of a bit of a rip off of Nigel Tufnell if I'm being honest but you know if you're going to rip someone off rip the best off I guess yeah absolutely was it your idea to actually chew the gum or did they ask you to yeah no I did that I did that (laughs) so the gum was your own work all my own work yeah that's one of the I can't take credit for another script but I can take credit for the gum (laughs) do you remember what type of gum it was it would have been, um, would have been Wrigley's Extra. That's I've always been a Wrigley's Extra spearmint kind of guy, <laughs> so still am. So yeah, it would have been would have been one of those bad boys probably. <laughs> um, so I'm just thinking. Of, so it was it was first kind of cast in the the 2000s, wasn't it? So before the office, what was what were you up to? What was your your day to day before actually it even came on the scene? Well, I had a day job at a market uh, research company, and then I was doing live sketch comedy around town. Did a few shows at the Helen Chickens and at the Etc Theatre, and was still doing Edinburgh, going up the Fringe, 
and we were sort of writing stuff as well and you know sending off scripts and sketches and we did a comedy lab on channel four and so yeah a mixture of stuff really so obviously that brings us to the actual office and how did you actually how did you actually come to be in it um just by having not done anything else really so the casting director they were looking to cast the extra the some of the workers uh who would be dotted around the place and in the original scripts they had a lot of a lot of the lines in the original script not now if you get the script books they won't be there now but a lot of the lines just said office worker and so they wanted it they wanted to get people in who weren't extras who had done who could do comedy and had done uh you know, maybe I'd done a bit of improv, so that if they needed to give somebody a line, say, right, you say this line, they could say it, and it wouldn't be an extra, you know, you can't really get extras to say lines. So they wanted all the workers around the place to be people who'd done comedy before, but who hadn't necessarily been on screen much before, because they wanted it to look like a documentary. They wanted, they still wanted back then, you know, people to stumble upon it and think it was real. So they wanted people who hadn't done other TV comedy stuff before to be the workers. So um, that's how I ended up going in. I hadn't sort of read it or anything. And I just got given those some of those lines early on that they were just for general workers. So I started giving, getting some of those lines and, uh, and they liked sort of what I was doing with it and just kind of took it from there, really. So what was the first line that you got that you managed to impress with? Good question actually I wish I could tell I wish I could remember I wish I could remember I can't remember but basically they were unassigned lines that they were going to give yeah I mean the first the first time I think I got noticed for a reaction was literally in the first episode when uh, Brent is bringing the new guy the new guy around and showing them around and he just brings us to our table and says we're the accounts and he, you know, as a mentor, and he goes, especially that one, and I just sort of give that sort of deadpan look, and uh, he's sort of like that already. So I think they wanted to kind of at least have me, if not give me lions, at least show me there as a kind of a comedic presence of some sort. So um, yeah, then I start getting lions after that, and I think the big, the kind of the. The big one was the was the scene in the with Martin. The first sort of Scotch egg scene was the first scene where I kind of felt I actually had something to contribute. I actually had a scene rather than just a line, you know, the one with the the Martin and the, and the peak practice and all that. So that was the first kind of time where I thought, yeah, this is kind of I'm actually involved in it, which was really nice. Did you feel pressure that um, this was your moment to shine or did you just kind of do your thing? Yeah, I did a little bit. Uh, weirdly, I, I kind of... Uh, I remember that the day of that scene, I actually did feel a bit quite nervous because, you know, it wasn't meant to be like that. You know, I was meant to be just... One of the office workers and suddenly, you know, I was getting more tension and makeup were paying more tension and sound were paying, you know, get me mic'd up. And it was going to be, you know, we're getting ready and everything getting blocked. And it was literally just me and Martin to do a scene. And I thought, this is kind of, you know, a bit of pressure here. Better, better try and get this right. And then obviously it all went wrong. <laughs> uh, typical. Uh, and uh, we ended up not being able to get through it from a lot of takes. And uh, But I think it turned out right. Yeah, it turned out well. It was uh, 
a scene a lot of people still kind of talk about and get me to kind of say the lines and it introduced the scotch egg uh, to the universe of the office so <laughs> you know it was uh, it was a good day really and also there's there's actually a lot of art in the timing of the of the scotch egg you know the timing in which you brought it up i mean that is yeah well that was a problem you see that was uh, that was what kept setting martin off it was it was all in the timing at the timing of the arm and it was him 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 seeing it and noticing it starting to go and he knew it was coming and evidently couldn't kind of that kept kept getting him uh, setting him off laughing so but it was it was that kind of yeah, it was weird, really. I don't know how it happened like that, but... But it, from what I can gather, they used to kind of encourage corpsing. Or... Uh, they did, yeah. Especially, mainly with the scenes that Ricky was in. Um, and he that was one of the one of the few scenes where he wasn't in it, where there was a lot of corpsing. Normally, it was scenes he was in where it was a problem. But that was one of the rare occasions where he wasn't even in it. He was kind of... He was off-screen. But um, yeah, it was uh, it was a strange one. It was a strange one. But the um, do you think perhaps like the appraisal scene is is almost better because that is actually up there, isn't it, with some of the best? I mean, that's, it really is <laughs> sensational. Yeah, it's weird. It's weird, really. I, I kind of it's one of those. Uh, it's for me. I can't, in my head, it's kind of. It's, it's kind of overkill now it's been kind of it's been shown so many times and so many times and so many times that I, I if I see it now and people show it sometimes when I'm going around and I, I put on like quizzes and events based on the office and sometimes kind of people use it as a clip before I go out or when I before I go on to introduce me and I kind of think people just, I just I can't see it anymore I can't see the hear it's, it's lost on me I think it's just been shown too many times. It's kind of... It's like you're free bird. Yeah, it's like... You know... It's like, it's like trying to remember when you first saw Del Boy falling through the bar. And I watched, you know, I watched it now and you can see why it's funny, but it's like I've seen it so many times that I'm not getting that big laugh. I'm not getting the belly laughs that I used to. And I think that is... I feel like that with the appraisal scene. I feel like I watch it now and I think... I just I've forgotten why it was uh, it's been analysed too much I've forgotten why it was funny but mm. there you go but I think in the uh, extras of the DVD wasn't it, he was trying to put you off and stuff yeah but he probably put everyone off in every scene there was no that wasn't special that wasn't like special treatment he did that to everyone in any scene he was in if you watch any of the outtakes he does everything differently every time trying to get trying to just kind of it's as much to keep himself interested and keep himself going as to as to put other people off and just keep the energy going, really, and keep the adrenaline going. So his performance from take to take would actually change. So that must oh, make yeah. is that right? Yeah, yeah. So the editing must be quite difficult if he's high energy then low energy. No, no, the energy wouldn't change. He just he just slightly changed little lines or little things like that. Like the whole, remember the whole thing when he was doing get, talking about his ties and getting off Nobby Burton and. That was he'd say something different every time, you know. I remember Sterling having to deal with that, and she was very good at it. She could just kind of keep a straight face, but um, so he just little things like that, you know, little lines of dialogue. He would slightly change from scene to scene just to just to keep it interesting. And how did you manage to like basically not <coughs> laugh when 
when he's there, like trying to put you off during that. Well, we did, we did. You know, you just do, you just laugh and then cut and then go again, and eventually you just sense the the simmering resentment of everyone around the crew and everyone who were like, you know, we want to get home. If people have got home to go to, the more times you get it wrong, the more people are like, well, I'm gonna, I'm not being able to go and see my get see my kids' bedtime tonight. You know, you got the sound, the camera, the lighting, the makeup. You know, you. Everyone's there hoping to get finished on time for the day. So eventually the pressure kind of gets to you and you get it right. <laughs> just to let, so everyone can finish and go home. Act through the pressure. Yeah. So I'm just wondering, like, you know, you come onto the set for the first time and you meet these crazy characters. You know, you, th- you think of a director and, and a producer and you see Stephen Merchant and Ricky Gervais in this atmosphere. What were your first impressions when you stepped on the set? Just, um... It was all the, the thing was it was all new to me, so it was all kind of new and exciting, and uh, I'd never been involved in a show of that of a, of a professional TV show over that period of time. You know, I'd only done ever done tiny bits a day here and there on things, and so for me it was all new and interesting, kind of exciting. But for a lot of people, it was just another job. I mean, looking back now and other doing other things and. Um, it wasn't massively different to anything else because nobody knew or that or that first series. Nobody knew it was going to be massive, massively successful. Nobody knew it was going to be, you know, successful at all. Back then, you, you back then you weren't even you didn't really know if it would go out, you know, or if people would watch it or if anyone would see it. So for me it was exciting because I hadn't done anything like that before but I think for most people it was um, just another sort of doing another acting gig and so Martin Freeman and, and, and the others um, they, were, they were they were undiscovered as well at the time weren't they so what were they like Martin had done a lot of uh, TV um, he wasn't a, he wasn't a star but he'd done a lot of a lot of TV shows and um so he was known. He was probably the most known person out of everyone in the show. Uh, Mackenzie had done a bit on like the eleven o'clock show and uh, like a sketch show, um, but nobody, yeah, nobody was kind of super famous. We didn't have like there was no sort of stars amongst us at that point. So there was that didn't even really come up to be honest. And was there was there a sense on the set that you were doing something really really <coughs> significant that would stand the test of time? I don't think so. I don't, it's easy to maybe to look back and, and and project that onto it, but I don't think there was. I don't think anyone. I thought it was. We thought it was funny. We thought it was good, but nobody thought it was. You know, gonna gonna really shake up the comedy world and kind of win a war, Golden Globes, and like sell millions and all this. That wasn't. Nobody thought that at all. I don't think anyone was even think thinking of that. People just wanted it to to get to the end of it and get it made and I don't think the BBC had much confidence in it and they were, certainly weren't planning to promote it or make a big deal of it so there was no expectation at all I don't think really Yeah it's weird those, the way that things can kind of turn out I think that's quite common in, in terms of uh, films and I think when they made uh, I think it was Goodfellas they thought they were making a real turkey and then it turned out to be incredibly successful yeah, I mean, you look at Star Wars. They didn't. No one thought that was before they put the special effects on. It would just look useless, apparently. And 
Harrison Ford hated it and you know nobody thought it was anything was going to happen you just the same with everything really I mean everyone nobody sets out to make a bad film or a bad program but most of them most are so when you're making something you just kind of you hope for the best but you kind of almost expect the worst because most of the time things just aren't brilliant and like when the awards did happen um what was that like for the cast realizing that they'd suddenly become like international it, it was an international success it was nice it was good everyone i think most people felt really happy about it most people were proud to be a part of it and um you know, we didn't. Most of us. I got to go to a few of the on the British Comedy Awards and a few things, and and uh, yeah, it was it was really good. It was fun times. What do you think, having been involved so um, seriously, what made it so successful? What was the ingredients? <clears throat> I mean, I have always said that I thought that what made it was the script, really, and uh, I still think that. I think it was just it was it was almost effortless to make those lines funny. It was just they just bounced off the page, and it was e- it was so easy to be to be funny with that dialogue. And I think it just it read beautifully, and it was um, <coughs> it just looked natural. It was a documentary, and it looked natural. <coughs> People still always say, you know, how much of it was improvised, and you go, well, pretty much none of it. Hardly any of it, especially in the later series. You know, maybe a bit in the first series, there were a couple of improv bits, but it was really tightly scripted for most of it. It was just so well written that it, it kind of rolled off the tongue and it looked natural. And uh, so, I, yeah, I think it was a script, really. I think the scripts are what made it. And do you think that it was very much the relationship? I mean, this is my opinion, so you might not might not agree with me, but uh, Ricky Gervais and Stephen Merchant's the chemistry between the two of them. Um, Merchant always being a foil to Ricky Gervais. That chemistry was, was was the magic that made made the writing so good. Yeah, almost. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it was it was definitely a big factor. It was definitely you know very much a sort of a joint thing, and they were both. Very, but it was a 50-50 thing, and uh, obviously Ricky did most of the acting, and Stephen was mostly behind the camera. But you know, every break, and every you know, every time we had lunch or every time at the end of the day, they would get together and kind of look over it and discuss it as a as a two. So yeah, it was uh, it was definitely a big thing the, the kind of the, the partnership between them, and the fact that they did two series and then went on and made those two Christmas specials which were amazing weren't they to actually kind of do it once do it twice and then do it again shows how good they were as a partnership yeah I think that it was good they, they kept the standard up it was what they wanted to do I think it was how they always envisaged it they wanted that to be the, the kind of the arc of the show <coughs> and um, they got out while the getting out was good I think yeah what is your what is what is your favourite scene from The Office? It may not be a scene that you're actually in. Um, probably at the moment, I would say it's when um, Brent is giving his uh, his speech to the combined Slough and Swindon lot and uh, trying to do his impressions and ends up doing uh, Eric Hitchmo and... Uh, you know, just the silence, <laughs> and he does his 
Basil Fawltian pressure and then almost kicks Gareth in the face and does his like Harry Enfield and uh, yeah I think that's my favourite at the moment that scene in some ways that kind of typifies his character because he is a, he's probably a good guy isn't he but he's just he just wants yeah. to be loved doesn't he really it's perfect for his character because it's kind of got all the all the elements of kind of the, the just so desperate to be loved and then being completely undermined by Neil and uh, and uh, yeah having to kind of get up and humiliate himself in front of everyone and then being caught out on the uh, on the Eric Hitchmo thing it's uh, yes. Yeah, I love it. I love that that little scene. Was there much corpse scene during the filming of that? I can't remember, but I'd, pr- I'd imagine there was, because there always was. It was always hard to get those, especially kind of the when you have to have a bit of silence at the end for the reaction. They were always hard to get. So it's kind of when he had to end up with his uh, doing. I think it ends on him doing Harry Enfield going only me. And you just stand, and it's like you have to have that kind of moment of silence. They were always difficult. Lunchtime gigs are sometimes the hardest, aren't they? As he yeah. says. <laughs> That's right, yeah. So when it, um, when it all wrapped uh, eventually, um, what was it like in terms of the cast unity? Was, did people getting together, was it a really sad moment? It was, uh, it was kind of... Uh, I remember it was a bit sad at the end of the second series because we thought... We didn't think there would, there would be anything else. We kind of thought we were kind of told that was it. And so, like, the Christmas specials were a bit of a bonus, so that was kind of nice that we got to kind of see everyone again. So, yeah, it was, it was a bit sad at the end of Series 2, and we thought, well, that's the end of it. And then, yeah, it was just kind of it was nice to get the Christmas specials and go, oh, we've got an, another chance to do a bit more. So it was really good, yeah. And what did you think of the, you know, um, Dawn and Tim uh, romantic storyline at the end, when, where it concluded? That was so wonderfully done, wasn't it? And it, it, it really did make it, um, it... It really raised it in terms of quality, didn't it? Because it, it wasn't just the funniness. It was actually incredibly moving. Yeah, it did. It was nice. It gave it a little bit of a... It was, very, it was nice that it happened right at the end because it was a very sort of unoffice-like thing to do. But it kind of it was nice. It was nice that those loose ends got tied up and Brent kind of stood up to Finch... And then Tim and Dawn got together, and then we had a big group photo. And then it was it was a bit it was a, it was almost sort of a Richard Curtis type uh, ending, uh, heaven forbid. But it had that kind of um, yeah nice left everyone with a nice Christmassy warm glow, which was I think a nice nice way to go out. In, in your imagination, what what would Keith have done after the cameras had gone away? Um. Whew. I don't know. I'd imagine he would. Um, he would have stayed there until, until they ended up kicking everyone out. You know, I can't imagine there's many paper merchants still around, are there? I mean, it's all digital now, so he'd have probably. Uh, I, I could see. I could see him working in computers. So he may have gone and done a little bit of a course, an IT course or a coding course. <coughs> and uh, moved into uh, moved into computers. I don't think he was ever going to make it as a musician or, or a DJ, but uh, you know. Plus, he he did have strengths in accounts, didn't he? He did have strengths in accounts, so maybe um, maybe he'd have stuck to that, go to work for some other company, running the accounts department, or not. I don't know. <laughs> Although he didn't like to take his home his work home with him, did he? 
No, I mean he did see it as a stopgap, but <laughs> I don't think I don't think the music world agreed with him. <laughs> so I we, I've, I read somewhere that you know Scotch eggs get presented to you all the time, and you don't actually like them. Is that is that actually true? Um, I would say I'm a sort of ambivalent to them. Um, I did have there was a time when I was when I did a few I was seemed to be doing a lot of interviews and a lot of. Uh, it's always the same you get into all the interviews and you get kind of fed up with the questions and so there was a time when I would deliberately give a different answer every time someone asked me if I like scotch eggs because I got so bored of the question I yeah. just I changed the answer every time so no one would ever know so sometimes I'd say yeah, sometimes I would say I like yeah, I do like them sometimes I would say I hate them sometimes I would say no I, you know, I'm allergic to them and I come out in a rash so I did a I did a thing for um, I think they've shut down now it's uh, the Shortlist magazine they had an online thing where they got me in uh, last year or the year before last year I think to kind of go and rate all the different supermarket scotch eggs and give them marks out of 10 <laughs> uh, which they paid me for so I wouldn't have done it you know if they hadn't paid me for it and it was um, yeah it was interesting they're all kind of much of a muchness really if you want to get a good scotch egg you've got to go to a pub or something and get it with the runny yolk and yeah they gave one from a pub and it wasn't any good i think there's a, there's a real it kind of really varies from kind of i think some pubs are good and some aren't i think um you know sort of like heston blumenthaler's i think made one before probably with them so, so i remember there was a big thing about with dry ice or five years ago where uh somebody made an, a scotch egg using an ostrich egg Blimey. You know, so it was literally, it was like massive. I said, but they went through everything and got, you know, making all the, the pork and the breadcrumbs and all that. And uh, people sent me that link quite a lot. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. And in terms of eczema, um, what's the latest answer you can give us on that? Uh, I'm fine. I'm still eczema free at the <laughs> moment. So, you know, still good. Still good. That's good. Do you want to have a break now and I'll get you another cup of coffee? Yeah, sure. Okay, cool. So, The Office is this huge international um, success. It wins all these awards. Uh, what was it like for you? How did your life change after being in The Office? Um, it, it meant I could... The one thing it meant was I could like give up the day job so I could, I could uh, get enough work doing other things sort of comedy related and acting related and all sorts of kind of uh you know the odd bit of celeb thing celeb stuff here and there uh so it meant i could uh you know there's less pressure in terms of having and having a day-to-day job which was really nice but in terms of kind of it wasn't like it was an overnight sensation so it all happened very gradually in terms of the first series started off not very popular and then when it was repeated a few months later then it became quite popular and then the second series you know another couple of years later and it kind of grew again so it was all happening it wasn't like one day you were like just nobody and the next day suddenly you were oh it was from the office it was like it was quite a slow organic process so in terms of that it wasn't a kind of an overnight sensation so in terms of kind of being getting the recognition and being spotted and recognised that all happened really really gradually which I think was nice 
which is much nicer than I think you know someone suddenly going to EastEnders and, and the next day you everyone knows who you are it was a much kind of it happened in a much slower way which I think was really good so the main difference was being able to to kind of not have a day job and uh, and do the kind of the creative stuff full time what was it like handing handing in your notice at your old job and saying goodbye um the, it was a weird because it was I was quite close to a lot of the people there and I'd worked with them for quite a few years and I turned down I turned down a full-time contract there uh, when I could have easily done that and, and, and then I wouldn't have had any of the the other stuff the office and all that so they were really good to me so it was kind of a uh, bittersweet to, to kind of stop going there and uh, part of you misses the kind of the structure of a of an office job and a kind of a nine to five day but um but then again you know when i was going traveling in rush hour in london was was the worst thing ever i used to have to travel in from clapham junction in the mornings and it was you know you literally had to had to stand on a platform that was 15 people deep and you'd have to watch three trains go by before you could even get on one and it was kind of just it was, it was horrible i hated it so, so you, you yeah. always wanted to have a, a different life to your, your average nine to five, basically. Yeah, and I, I kind of, I guess, partly that's why I, I did it because I knew that there was a chance of being able to do something else. And I think if I'd had to do it much longer, I probably would have done something else anyway, or at least moved out of London because I hated the nine to five London lifestyle. So your life kind of transformed then, really, after the office, but it did so organically, is it hmm. fair to say? So there was definitely crossover. There was definitely points where part of my job and my old day job was 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 training people to do this market research work. <laughs> and did they know you as? And there Keith? was time when there was a time definitely crossover when people were coming in and recognizing that I was from the office and also working in this office training people to do like phone jobs. So there was definitely a, a, a weird point where that was happening. Um, so yeah, it was it was all very slow. It was, there was no sudden transformation. It was happened in a weird, slow way. Because a lot of actors have to kind of make be, make a really tough decision and pack in the work and throw everything into into acting, and it can actually be very risky for them, can't it? It can be, but a, a lot a lot keep up another job as well. You know, a lot of actors do have something else they can turn their hand to. A lot of you know them can go back to supply teaching or tutoring or you know various things so yeah i think a lot of actors especially nowadays there's something you know only about uh two percent or three percent of people who are registered as actors can make a full-time living through just acting you know i know i can't i have to have other things i do as well uh so i do a lot you know do quizzes and dj for people's parties and weddings and so on do all sorts of different things so you've got to kind of in this day and age you've got to have more than one string to your bow i think it's very tough to make it as an actor that's always my advice when people say i want to be an actor i don't bother you know really yeah really because if they really want to they'll ignore you and they'll do it anyway and that's the only only people who are going to do it are the people who are really you know who you can't put off because they, they need to do it that's a really good point, actually. Don't do it. Don't do it because you think you can make a, you know, quick buck and become rich and famous. Because if you try it for that reason, you, you won't. Unless you're extremely lucky, uh, you're going to be very, very upset and disappointed. 
So the main, so if you're going to become an actor, do it because you love the acting, not because you want to be rich yeah. and famous. If you look, if you definitely want to be an actor, then going to someone for advice and them saying definitely, definitely don't be an actor isn't going to put you off. If you're umming and ahhing, then that might put you off, and then you were never going to be able to be an actor anyway. I think so. That's always my advice. So, what is it actually like uh, being famous? Um, I'm, I don't know if I've ever got to the, the, the level where I could say uh, what it's like because I don't think I've hit those. I've never hit the, the kind of the, the proper levels of fame where I would be recognised wherever I go, you know, and uh, be constantly fending people off. Uh, I'm at a kind of a nice. I'm, I'm at my highest, I've probably been at a nice level where I've been recognised by a few people and there've always been people who've kind of. who've, who've been fans, so. I've had a kind of a, a nice low-level buzz of fame, but I've never felt, you know, that I'm really famous. And what are office fans like in general when they come up to you? <clears throat> they're very, they're very nice. They're very friendly. They're they're very um, keen to ask questions and to uh, and to kind of do quotes and all that sort of stuff. And but generally, everyone's yeah, everyone's nice, which is good. Yeah, that is really lucky because some people, I suppose, um, would get bad attention. I'm, t- I'm trying to think of an example here, but I think in general, the people would be quite good-natured if they see you. Is that right? I think you know, I don't want, I don't want to be, I don't want to be boastful on behalf of office fans. I think fans of the office are, you know, pretty above intelligent, kind of well-grounded people on the whole. I think a lot of I know, I know, I've had friends who've gone into soaps. And uh, it's a it's a different story when you've been in a soap. You get a lot of people watching soaps, and some of them aren't you know can't distinguish between real life and fiction. And a lot of people think these people are like are their characters from the soap. And I think that's an easy way to kind of get a lot of hassle. Uh, but um, so far, I haven't had that. Thankfully, who knows? You know, one I might end up in a soap one day, and uh, and that'll come back to haunt me. I'm just wondering, you've done actually quite a lot of other stuff, uh, which which is pretty noticeable, including The Lobster, uh, yeah. which was directed by, was it, Yorgos Lanthimos, yeah. who actually was nominated for Oscars and stuff, for, for The Favourite, yeah, and, yeah. uh, and The Lobster got nominated for a lot of uh, awards uh, as well. Nom- yeah, I think it got nominated for a Best Screenplay Oscar or something like that. Uh, what was it like working on that then? <coughs> that was great, it was very surreal, very weird, Compl- again, completely different experience often doing it in this massive hotel on the coast of Ireland and um, yeah, very very strange kind of production but lots of fun to do but again very different, very slow moving you know big uh, kind of scenes and a lot of lighting and a lot of kind of moving around and a lot of standing around waiting for everything to be ready and a lot of big stars. It was one of those ones where a lot of big, big stars who took in a big pay cut to come and work with him because a lot of it was because of a, a film we'd done before The Lobster, which is a film called Dogtooth, which is amazing. And I think a lot of people had seen it and uh, wanted to work with him. So we had, you know, you know, we had you had Colin Riley, uh, sorry, Colin Farrell and John C. Riley and Rachel Weitz and. Ashley Jensen, Olivia Coleman, you know, it was like a lot of these uh, 
these people who were there and just slumming it really we all had to wait around and there were no body doubles and it was raining and it was you know everyone stood around just mucking in it was really good but quite odd you know having lunch and all the everyone queuing up for lunch and seeing Colin Farrell in the queue waiting to get served with everyone else it was uh, yeah it was really weird and is that like one of the big differences between film and TV is that just the amount of time it takes to yeah get especially on big productions it's more the size of the production than the difference between film and TV I'd imagine the bigger the production the, the bigger the crew the, the bigger the undertaking the longer it takes to get everything set up and the longer it takes you know to get things done what kind of a direction style does he have then this chap Yorgos uh, quite naturalistic he's uh, he, you know on the lobster he was very he didn't want anyone to have any makeup uh, men or women uh, so that was that was quite strange kind of almost no makeup department which was pretty much unheard of uh, on a film or TV show um, so everything was quite naturalistic everyone was quite low for that film I guess everything was quite low key naturalistic which I guess maybe is kind of why I, I was in it because I can that's kind of my style of choice so yeah it was it was good though it was really nice he was lovely really nice guy and again yeah really good atmosphere on set really nice and it could be that because he uses he uses people uh, repeatedly so it could be in the future he'll do another one and might want you back right it would be lovely to think that you just don't know you never know on this in this uh, job yeah <coughs> but you've also done uh, Little Britain and Miranda right yeah yeah it was weird there was a time people forget how huge Little Britain was <coughs> but there was a time for two or three years where I was recognised much more for Little Britain than The Office uh, bizarrely especially amongst school children back then all school kids watched Little Britain and then for some reason it sort of faded away and then but I still got recognised from The Office and that kind of came back so I don't know how these things work it's I suppose odd. it kind of shows its staying power The Office yeah that's what I think yeah but, oh, that but, was a weird thing. Yeah, but Little Britain, uh, yeah, I wonder whether it just burned very brightly and then faded. I think so. I think so. It's always, I think, the way with catchphrase comedy, whatever's in vogue that is there for a while. The same with The Fast Show, I guess. You know, that was massive. <clears throat> and now people have probably, you know, the young generation, the new generation probably wouldn't, wouldn't know what you were talking about if you did some Fast Show. Uh, sketches or punchlines or catchphrases um, so yeah sketch shows are kind of a bit like that I guess and also yeah it was quite quite obvious time Little Britain I don't think they could do it now uh, now the world's, the world's gone a bit uh, PC I don't think they could do all the sort of the uh, the blacking up and dragging up that they did back then necessarily yeah it was kind of at the end of that era wasn't it really yeah yeah yeah, but you enjoyed doing Little Britain, did you? Oh, I loved it. Yeah, they were really nice. Again, they were lovely. Matt Lucas, like one of the nicest men you'll ever meet, and it was, uh, yeah, it was good fun. But you've been in horror films as well. What, what were they like? Oh, I loved it. Yeah, I've done a f- uh, couple, um, a couple, a few actually. I've done a, a short which was really good, called Doris, which was was really good fun and. Um, one that's coming out hopefully it was coming out in a, in a couple of months called Shed of the Dead uh, which was really good fun I've seen that it's, it's nuts it's really uh, strange uh, gory but good fun 
so that's coming out hopefully uh, in April might get a limited release so that's good and then one called Fubar which was again kind of comedy horror with uh, Mark Heap which was really good fun so yeah so what do you reckon the future looks like for you at the moment the moment you're in I'm just doing what I'm doing really again maybe more I've done probably more film recently but um, you know I'm kind of a I do various corporate stuff and live events but uh, I, I do still do sort of acting and I've still got a couple of things coming up so just just uh, keeping on going really just kind of to come to a conclusion what is it was it meant to you to have been in the office <clears throat> well I mean I mean it's something I'm still proud of it's something that had a big effect on my life you know and uh, I'm very glad that it's still in people's consciences because I, I, I really like it. I'm a fan of it as well as having been in it. Uh, and I think, weirdly, it stood the test of time quite well. So I think you can still watch it today and still kind of find it funny. And, uh, yeah, so all in all, thumbs up. And uh, how much do you think you've enjoyed this podcast? Not at all, to some extent. <laughs> Very much so, or don't know. Uh, what are the options? <laughs> Always the same. Not at all. To, to some extent, very much so, don't know. Don't know. <laughs> Thanks so much. Sorry. Right. Thanks a lot, Ewan. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. If you did, please rate and leave a review. And don't forget to subscribe. Who do you want to hear from next? Let us know by tweeting at whatanofficepod or by emailing wapod at outlook.com. See you again next time.